the day after Christmas. Welcome to another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot, who called us to live to a higher standard each day, and not be satisfied with just a little empty religion in life as a shallow substitute for giving God our best. As our series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others, all influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. It is good to have you with us today. Well, Christmas is just past, but it doesn't mean we have to go back to the regular routine quite yet. We can look back and think about the message of the birth of Jesus. Maybe the hectic part of the season is... uh, is over for you, and you're ready to do a little, a little reminiscing about this past Christmas time, and about uh, years ago. We have a couple special guests today: Jim Howard, brother of Elizabeth, and Rachel Johnson, who's been serving as our creative media director. We'll think back about uh, Elizabeth's latter years and some of her observations as she remembers those last days. Right now, we think about the Christmas story. It's a story of peace, of angels, of sacrifice. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, speaking with you about the demonstration of that everlasting love. Do you know that children's hymn, Jesus Loves Me? This I know, for the Bible tells me so. What does the Bible tell us? Well, it tells, among other things, that wonderful story of how the God who had kept himself hidden for ages, revealed himself through creation and through the prophets and through the law, finally revealed himself as a human being, as a baby. Today is the remembrance and the celebration of a true story, more incredible, humanly speaking, than any fairy story, more wonderful, loaded with deeper significance than any other story that has ever been told. It's from Luke 2. In those days, a decree was issued by the Emperor Augustus for a registration to be made throughout the Roman world. This was the first registration of its kind. It took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. For this purpose, everyone made his way to his own town, and so Joseph went up to Judea from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to register at the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of David by descent. And with him went Mary, who was betrothed to him. She was expecting a child, and while they were there, The time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to a son, her firstborn. She wrapped him in his swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them to lodge in the house. I'd like to pause right there and point out that there really isn't anything very unusual about anything so far, is there? Everybody had to go to register at whatever the city was of his ancestors. And here was just one couple, Joseph and Mary, and she happened to be pregnant, 
and it was time for her baby to be born when she got to Bethlehem, the town in which they had to register. And she gave birth to a son, her firstborn. Nothing terribly unusual about that. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. That was the custom. But this is the unusual part. I said there wasn't anything unusual, but there certainly was one unusual thing here. She laid him in a manger because there was no room for them to lodge in the house. The story goes on with verse 8 in Luke 2. Now in this same district there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch through the night over their flock. When suddenly there stood before them an angel of the Lord and the splendor of the Lord shone round them. They were terror-stricken. But the angel said, Do not be afraid. I have good news for you. There's great joy coming to the whole people. Today, in the city of David, a deliverer has been born to you, the Messiah, the Lord. And this is your sign. You will find a baby lying wrapped in his swaddling clothes in a manger. All at once there was with the angel a great company of the heavenly host singing the praises of God. Glory to God in highest heaven. And on earth his peace for men on whom his favor rests. After the angels had left them and gone into heaven... The shepherds said one to another, Come, we must go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with all speed and found their way to Mary and Joseph. And the baby was lying in the manger. When they saw him, they recounted what they had been told about this child, and all who heard were astonished at what the shepherds said. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them. Meanwhile, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for what they had heard and seen. It had all happened as they had been told. And that's the miraculous part, isn't it? Ordinary duties were being carried on when shepherds were out there in the fields, but something extraordinary happened. Suddenly there was an angel, an angel choirs, and the angel giving them a message of a deliverer being born today in the city of David, the Messiah, the Lord. And this is your sign. You will find a baby lying wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. Well, I don't know how the shepherds were guided to that manger, but somehow they knew that this was pretty unusual because newborn babies were not normally to be found in mangers, but they found him and they told what they'd heard. And you know, I never noticed this till I was reading this just now. It says, all who heard it were astonished. I have only pictured Mary and Joseph there. Doesn't say both of those who heard it were astonished, but all. So there must have been some other people there. I don't think it was the wise men yet, but they were astonished at what the shepherds told them. But you don't find Mary saying a single word. She was silent. She treasured up all these things. And the shepherds went back to their work, glorifying and praising God. I hope that those who are listening will want to study the old, old story once again. There is one ancient creed that says, I believe faithfully the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The incarnation simply means the enfleshing, the coming in the flesh. And Christians must believe faithfully that he did, in fact, come in the flesh. It was not a fairy story. It happened at a particular time under the reign of a particular authority. The governor of Syria is named Quirinius, and the actual geographical spots. Joseph went up to Judea from Nazareth to register in Bethlehem. This was the place where the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took place. He is God and man. The creed goes on to say, God of the substance of the Father, begotten before all worlds, and man of the substance of his mother, born in the world. Let me read that again, those tremendous contrasts we have to try to grasp. God of the substance of the Father, begotten before the worlds, and man of the substance of his mother, born in the world. I'm talking, I suppose, today to some who are very lonely. Christmas time is a time that exacerbates our loneliness. We may feel cut off from the past, remembering very happy Christmases. Perhaps people you love are very far away, some of them in very dangerous and uncertain places. Some of them you can't even get in touch with. You can't hear from them. Some of you have loved ones in prison. Some of you are in prison. And there's nothing in the world you'd rather be than home today around the Christmas tree with your family. Maybe your family is broken. This is your first Christmas after a divorce. Perhaps it's your first Christmas after losing your spouse. Perhaps you were engaged or you had a relationship with somebody who has simply disappeared. Do you feel completely forsaken? Do you think that God is distant and indifferent? Maybe you're unemployed and you're filled with fear, wondering how in the world you're going to make it next year. I remind you of that tremendous doctrinal word, incarnation. God became a man. He understands all of it. He came into the world and he walked this road with us. Listen to the story in an old hymn. Once in royal David's city stood a lowly cattle shed where a mother laid her baby in a manger for his bed. Mary was that mother mild, Jesus Christ, her little child. He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all, and his shelter was a stable, and his cradle was a stall. With the poor and mean and lowly lived on earth our Savior, holy. And through all his wondrous childhood he would honor and obey, love and watch the lowly maiden in whose gentle arms he lay. Christian children all must be mild, obedient, good as he. For he is our childhood's pattern. Day by day like us he grew. He was little, weak, and helpless. Tears and smiles like us he knew. And he feeleth for our sadness, and he shareth in our gladness. Not 
In that poor, lowly stable with the oxen standing by, we shall see him. But in heaven, set at God's right hand on high, when like stars his children crowned, all in white shall wait around. This story is for you. It was for you and me that he came, but our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love. But only if we want to, if we receive him in a simple act of faith and repentance. That was called The Christmas Story. Our next Gateway to Joy program is called The Day After Christmas. But right now, let's hear from Jim Howard, brother of Elizabeth. Maybe this Christmas season you've been hosting uh, family and friends at your house. What kind of a host was Jim's sister Elizabeth? She was always gracious in hospitality with others in hers and Addison's home or Lars' home, depending on which husband she had at the time. She was always a gracious hostess, like my mother, uh, a well-kept home, kept neatly and orderly. and So my mother and both my sisters carried that same tradition along. Jim Howard, brother of Elizabeth. Later on, we'll hear from Rachel Johnson, who's been serving with the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation in the creative media director role. We'll hear from her a little bit later. She thinks about uh, Elizabeth's latter years. Maybe you've gone back to work, returning to your usual routine, returning as well some of those presents that uh, you really didn't want in the first place, but you appreciate the thought. Take inventory with us, not just of presence, but of life. And uh, think about thank you notes. Are they important? This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking with you today about the day after Christmas. I hope you haven't collapsed with all the celebrations, but have had time to be quiet, think, pray, and thank the Lord for his willingness to empty himself and take on the burdens of being human for us, for our joy, for our salvation. I hope that as you sang the Christmas carols that we've talked about during this month, that you've been able to invest them with a little bit more meaning than might have been habitual before. I wonder what you're doing today. Well, some of you have had to go back to work. Some of you, I suppose, are busy returning gifts. This is a busy day in the stores with everybody rushing back to get what they really wanted instead of what Aunt Susie chose for them. Some of the children are enjoying their gifts and their toys, and some of you are fighting over them. Are any of you listening to me now? Well, you parents, I would suggest that one of the things you might do while the children are not around is to take inventory of the gifts, especially those given to small children. If you're anything like my grandchildren, you've gotten too many, or you've gotten duplicates, perhaps. And I'm not suggesting necessarily that you take them away altogether or get rid of them, but I am suggesting this. You probably don't have enough room for all the toys that the children have anyway, so why not put some of the new ones away? It's amazing to me how quickly small children can forget 
especially when they've been busy for a long time opening a lot of packages. By the time they get around to the 16th package, they've forgotten what they got in the first or the second. And if you can just sort of tactfully and quietly put those gifts maybe up in the top of a closet somewhere, they will make a wonderful surprise for a rainy day or maybe when a child is sick in bed, a new toy that he had forgotten he ever received. And then there's the question of thank you notes. What do we do about thank you notes? Well, I hope that you will teach your children the importance of sending a note. It's not very difficult to thank a person verbally when you see them or to make a phone call. But I'm of the old school that believes that there is a special value in the written word. And I think it means especially a great deal to older people. I know it does to me as a grandmother to receive a note from a child. It doesn't have to be a long one. It doesn't have to be well-written or well-worded, but just something in the child's own handwriting. Of course, I'm speaking of children who have begun to learn to write or to print. You can help them to address the envelopes and to learn to write a simple sentence. And I would suggest that you teach them to write something besides just thanks for the Lego set. Maybe the child could tell his grandfather or his uncle or his friend what he first made with the Lego set. And that doesn't take more than two sentences, does it? But just something other than the standard thank you for. And another lesson that children have got to learn as well as we ourselves, you have to be thankful even when it wasn't the thing you wanted. It's a great spiritual lesson. We don't always get the Christmas presents and the birthday presents that we were hoping for, and we don't always get the answers to our prayers that we're hoping for. But it is a step of spiritual advancement to accept gladly and willingly what God has given, even if it wasn't anything like what we imagined he would give when we prayed for it. And whatever the child has received for Christmas, he is not required to like, but he is required to be grateful for. And if it wasn't what you wanted, then of course you don't tell Aunt Susie that it wasn't what you wanted. Another thing to teach the children is how to give away things. How to give away especially something that means something to you. I have a brother-in-law, Bert Elliott, who is a missionary in Peru. And he and his wife, Colleen, have been working there for about 40 years. Their letters are missionary sagas, almost always full of adventure, excitement, disasters. There's never a boring letter from Bert and Colleen in Peru. And one of their more recent letters told about trying to teach the Peruvian believers how to be generous and how to give. And so they had one day when each one of the members of the church chose something they liked, something they really liked, and gave it to somebody else. These are extremely poor people that I'm talking about, people who live 
in the mountains and the deserts of Peru, who have very little in the way of material things. But what an important lesson it would be if you could teach your children, and those of you who don't have children, think about something that you have that somebody else needs more than you do. How about giving that away? And you don't have to give it away trying to pretend that it's a brand new present that you chose for them. If it looks slightly worn, then by all means, tell them the straight truth about it. In 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, verses 1 to 5, Paul is talking to the Corinthian Christians about the Macedonian Christians. He says this, We must tell you, friends, about the grace of generosity which God has imparted to our congregations in Macedonia. The troubles they have been through have tried them hard, yet in all this they have been so exuberantly happy that from the depths of their poverty they have shown themselves lavishly open-handed. Going to the limit of their resources, as I can testify, and even beyond that limit, they begged us most insistently and on their own initiative to be allowed to share in this generous service to their fellow Christians. And their giving surpassed our expectations, for they gave their very selves, offering them in the first instance to the Lord, but also under God to us. Paul touches on the real heart of the matter of giving in this passage. First of all, it's important to notice that these people were people who were suffering. They have been through some very tough things, which Paul says tried them hard. And yet, and here's another spiritual secret, in the midst of trial and tribulation, they have been so exuberantly happy that from the depths of their poverty, they have shown themselves lavishly open-handed. Two great spiritual paradoxes, exuberantly happy in the midst of suffering and lavishly open-handed in the midst of poverty. Many of you who listen to me, I have no doubt, have experienced the amazing truth of how generosity out of our own need is rewarded in ways that we cannot predict and that there is such a thing as happiness even in the midst of trial. I mentioned to you recently a dear friend who had lost his wife, and as he told about losing her and sat there weeping, he was able also to say, but I've had peace. I think I can honestly say that I've had peace. Paul goes on in this passage to say that the Macedonians had gone to the limit of their resources How many of us are called upon to go to the limit of our resources and even beyond that limit, he says, they begged us most insistently and on their own initiative to be allowed to share in this generous service to their fellow Christians. I have been the recipient of much generosity on the part of many Christians, many of whom I don't know at all. People send me things, they write me wonderful letters, they send me gifts, Very often when I've spoken in places, somebody will come up and hand me a little package. And 
By the time I get home, I can hardly remember the person's face. I hate to have to confess that, but it's just impossible for me to remember all the generous service that has been given to me as a fellow Christian. And almost always the attitude with which these things are given is just what is expressed here. They begged to be allowed to share in this generous service. One lady gave me the sweetest little china figurine that I have in my study of a little girl holding up a doll. And with it, this woman had given me a little card saying, thank you for teaching me to cherish children. Well, that stands on top of the bookcase in my study. And it reminds me of how one person has shared in the service that the Lord has given to me. And Paul says, and their giving surpassed our expectations, for they gave their very selves, offering them in the first instance to the Lord, but also under God to us. This is what real giving is, isn't it? Giving ourselves, first of all, to God, and then, under God, giving ourselves to others. I trust that in this post-Christmas period, you will take inventory of the gifts that God has given to you, not only the material things, but the spiritual things, and ask the Lord to show you how to share by giving these things to others. That was called The Day After Christmas. Well, we have time to hear from Rachel Johnson, who's been serving as the Creative Media Director for the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation. She thinks back with us about some of Elizabeth's latter years. I, oddly enough, got to FaceTime with Elizabeth one time. She was staying at my parents' home, and at this point, she was well into um, the throes of dementia, and she was there, and my mom um, called me, and at the time, my boys, my two oldest, were just itty-bitty, and I remember we FaceTimed, and Elizabeth was there, and she was just very calm, and, you know, we set the iPad, my mom set the iPad on her lap, and she just watched us on the screen. I'm sure we looked like a real circus to her, but she didn't say anything. She didn't respond, really, other than just kind of watching and seeing what was going on. And and I remember meeting her care team on that same FaceTime call and just how precious they were and um, how much they loved her and cared for her. Uh, It was just she had an incredible care team that surrounded her and helped Lars, her husband. Um, And, of course, Lars, I've had the pleasure of being around Lars many, many times, and um, he's just a hoot. I really enjoy Um, his company, and um, it's just, it was a joy to get to meet her. That was Rachel Johnson, Creative Media Director for the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation. Written in one of Elizabeth's journals from February 17, 1997, were these words, O Jesus Lord, I am your servant. Do anything you want with me. Only make me holy, whatever it takes. Are we willing to make that same statement? Well, our time together is coming to an end, but thanks for letting us come into your home, your office, along with you as you took a jog, maybe, wherever we found you today. On behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out elizabethelliot.org 
for more talks, devotionals, videos, and more. ElizabethElliot.org And until next time, may God remind you every day that you're loved with an everlasting love, and underneath are the everlasting arms.